Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. We are in our series called Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude, exploring the themes and the modern-day connections of the Heidelberg Catechism. Hey, everybody. My name is Rob Samuelson. I'm an elder at Generations Church. With me today, as always, is my friend and the lead pastor at Generations, Jeff Luddington. How you doing this morning, Jeff? Man, we are in the penultimate episode. <laughs> I just wanted an opportunity to say the word penultimate. And uh, that's a really big word for second to last, right? And so second to last penultimate episode. I'm great, man. Uh, I am well this morning. I'm excited about this. I am excited to complete the Heidelberg and... Uh, uh, in case you're new or you're joining us maybe for the first time, that is not uh, that is not Heisenberg. This is not that TV show. It's the Heidelberg Catechism, and uh, we have been working our way through a 450-year-old way of training Christians, a discipleship method process uh, that has been highly influential in Christianity for the last almost 500 years, really 450 years, and uh, we wrap it up. In our next episode, so next week, final one, and then we will switch gears into something new. Uh, but this is exciting. It's it's uh, man, it's like coming to the end of something good. You're excited to complete it, and you're kind of knowing, hmm, you know, I'm looking forward to the next thing. But this is good, man, and and I will I will miss being in the Heidelberg Catechism for sure. Yeah, you feel. I mean, how do you feel about that? I'm I'm just impressed by the fact that we're we're almost to the end, and you have been part of every single episode. It's taken three co-hosts to get you to this point. We just had to tag team it because I don't think any of us can can handle, you know, just the amount of of knowledge coming our way. We have to take a I, break and process it. Yeah, I break lesser mortals for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I I you know, so we've had two people. Uh, literally, one moved out of state. One's getting ready to move out of state too, but. Uh, yeah, man, two different pastors, leaders, uh, head out. Uh, you have come in and stayed the course. Um, and uh, it's been good, man. I, each person honestly brought a different component and a uh, personality, different gift set. And uh, I've been grateful for them all and uh, stoked to be here with you wrapping it up. I have been a part of every single one. And uh I think what we we're, so it's 52 Lord's Days or 52 episodes, weeks uh, in the Heidelberg Catechism, and um, we did a couple A and Bs, uh, like part one, part twos, and so probably almost 60 episodes uh, to work through this. And as we wrap it up, if you're joining us uh, and you've not listened to the rest of the series, man, by all means, go back and listen to them. You'll hear Pastor Vinny in the early episodes, Pastor Scotty in a second set of episodes, and then Rob and I here bringing it home. And uh, we are wrapping up this uh, series with where the High Word Catechism is. We're in the Lord's Prayer. And uh, if you're a Christian and grown up around the church, that's probably something you're familiar with. If you're not, uh, Jesus' disciples, when he was alive, come to him and say, would you teach us how to pray? And Jesus gives a very simple prayer. Uh, you know, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, give us this day our daily bread. And then here's where we are today. You know, forgive us our debts or our trespasses or our sins. Debts, trespasses, sins, kind of all interchangeable. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors or forgiven our trespasses or sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us is another translation. Uh, And that's where we are in it. And then we will wrap it up. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, the power of glory forever. Right. And I know it doesn't include that in uh, this version, but man, today it's on forgiveness and our forgiveness and our forgiving others. Super important. And so uh, with all that long intro, here we go. Lord's Day 51 or episode 51. Question and answer 126 is what does the fifth petition mean? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors means because of Christ's blood, do not hold against us for sinners that we are any of the sins we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. Forgive us just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us to forgive our neighbors. So quite a lot in there and, and, and beautiful love talking about forgiveness um, Love to receive forgiveness, a little bit harder to give it to someone. But I think before we start this, um, the question that we need to address is just uh, what what forgiveness actually looks like. Like, what does it actually mean to be forgiven or what does it actually mean to forgive someone? Yeah, that's and that's really good. Whenever we talk about a concept um, that we're supposed to embrace, be that uh I don't know what you call love, an emotion, a feeling, you know, a commitment or forgiveness, an act that is, you know, somewhat counter to who we are uh, when we're injured or hurt by someone, uh, when someone sins against us. Uh, uh, It's framed by this, by the way, I'm just going to kind of stop thinking that thought and, you know, kind of erratically switch gears. But when we talk about forgive us our debts, as we, you know, as we forgive those, uh, our, uh, forgive our debtors, right? It, sin is considered a debt to God. Sin against you, if I sin against you, it's considered a debt to you. That's why debt swapped in there. So some translations forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Uh, trespasses is another term. It means the same thing as sin. It's uh, to cross a line or a boundary uh, that we're not supposed to cross, right? And so forgive us our debts. That's the way this one's framed. And so if I have sinned against God. I have a debt to God. I owe God something for that. If I sin against you, I owe you something for that. So our understanding of forgiveness is rooted in God's forgiveness of us. And so I think the most beautiful kind of poetic uh, explanation of forgiveness is Psalm 103, 12. And uh, by the way, if you're listening today, man, we're going to put all these, we're going to put the question and answer that we did today all the verses. We're going to put that in the show notes so you have it. So if you're driving along on the freeway and you're listening, please don't look this verse up on the freeway. We'll give it to you. Uh, you can see it later. Uh, Psalm 103, 12. Uh, I think that's the the insurance clause that it requires us to say, don't look it up on the freeway. No, anyhow. Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our transgressions from us. So there's a beautiful image Think east-west on a on a on a on a, a line like a, a two points, right? In the center are we, and you go to your left in a straight line. It's east, and you go to your right in your straight line. It's west, and that line will never stop, right? That's the image we're given. 
as far as the east is from the west, so far does God, or he, and it says he, but it's talking about God, remove our transgression, sin, right, from us. The theological doctrine that would be here is a, is a term called expiation, right? Uh, and that is the idea that God takes our sin away from us. There's a, a beautiful uh, understanding of this back in the Torah, in the, the first five books of the Bible, when it's giving the laws to us and how do we deal with our sin and God. And there's this moment where they bring in these two uh, goats to be sacrificed. And uh, one is going to be killed as a penalty, as a covering for sin. And the other one is fascinating where the, the priest and the people, whatever, they would come together and they would confess their sins. They would lay their hands on that goat and they would confess their sins, all their sins over that goat. And then they would literally send that goat out into the wilderness, releasing it out. You know, someone would take it out to the edge of the camp and send it out into the wilderness. So I just kind of have this image of getting to that edge, man, and just kind of smacking it on the butt like you see on a, a, a horse or something like, bang, go. And it would run out into the wilderness, never to be seen again. And the idea of expiation is that our sin is removed from us. It's taken away and uh that's what we should understand God does with our sin. If you are in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you have trusted him as your Lord, your Savior, you follow Jesus, then the reality of Jesus' death on a cross for us is that he took our penalty. He is both the goat that was slaughtered and paid the price. He is also the scapegoat, the one that removes our sin from us. The doctrine of expiation is that our sin is taken away. We're not just forgiven and still sinful, but it's removed from us. Yeah, I love the fact that you uh, pointed out, think of that east to west on like a flat line, yeah. as opposed to I've had people say, oh, if you're thinking around like a globe, it comes back around at some point to you. And some people God's have hung on to things. You know, they said they've forgiven someone, but they hang on to those those errors that they had committed, those things that have been sinned against them, and they bring them up later. And we're talking about removing them as far as they could possibly be removed. Um, let me ask you this. Is, there's an expectation, it seems like, that, that we need to do something before we are saved. We need to confess. We need to repent. Um, how do you understand that? Is that something that's required of us or just expected of us? And also, in, then if we're going to forgive someone else, do we need to hold the same expectation that they need to confess to us or apologize to us or repent before we should be willing then to forgive them. That's great, and uh, and that's a great um, a great question to ask. When we when we read passages of scripture, um, some might even seem contradictory at times, right? And well, this one says this: like God forgave you before the before eternity, and then it says, "Well, do this, and you will be forgiven." Like we get these things that. They're not contradictory, but maybe on the outside, maybe they seem a bit paradoxical or even contradictory. And um, there is uh, there's perspective to it. And so when we look at as far as the east is from the west, so does he. So far does he remove our transgression from us? That that's what God does, right? Well, it doesn't say when or where or how, right? It just says that's true. Um, there's other verses. Uh, I think of Acts two thirty eight. And this is the crowd in Jerusalem, roughly 50 days-ish, you know, um, after the crucifixion of Jesus. The same, really, 
crowd that lives there and, and maybe some other visitors that are in for a feast. Um, so those that killed Jesus and, and some others, the Jewish community there. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, walks out and preaches a gospel. And he, he a very pointed gospel like you killed Christ, right kind of thing, right? And they ask him, so, so Peter, what must we do to be saved? And Peter's answer in Acts 2.38 is, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You could read that, and you could take that as, I do this, and then I earn God's forgiveness, right? And that's not what is being said. Um, the gospel preached prior to that is, this is what God has done to forgive your sins. And so there's a, we call it an eschatological, or eschatology uh, is a doctrine of end times, right? There is a last things, final things understanding that God has already accomplished something before eternity, right? Like God has already done this. And yet then God achieves it in time in us as well. So there's a now and there's a not yet. There's a, there's a, it's already perfectly done and yet we're still living it out. And forgiveness is one of those. Like we are taught to confess our sins to God. We're also taught that God has forgiven us. And so then there's a, then there's a, well, what do we do? And I think the, the powerful thing is in the answer as evidence of your grace in us, right? Forgive us just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us to forgive our neighbors, right? We then forgive as an evidence of what God has already done in us. We are forgiving because God has forgiven us, right? The Bible says we love because Christ first loved us. We do everything as a response. And so if you go back to that passage, Peter's preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. What we see, if you look from a, a divine 10,000 foot, you know, God's perspective, when the Jews cry out, what must we do to be saved? What has happened is a massive transition in their hearts from crucify him, crucify him, which is the last thing we see the Jerusalem Jews do, till this, what must we do to be saved? And what's really taken place there is God has transformed their heart divinely, sovereignly, internally. Now, what must we do? They're really, they don't know this, but they're really responding what God has already done in their hearts. Peter says, now your next step, repent and be baptized. Be faithful to what God is doing inside of you. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. The forgiveness you've received, respond to it. Go be baptized. And then there's a promise that follows with it. Now you take that step of obedience, and Peter says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Like, you will receive power to live a new way. That new way is going to include millions of things, right? But one of them is being forgiving to other people. Just as I've been forgiven by God, now if you sin against me, I forgive you. It's a reaction, I'm sorry, not a reaction, a response to who God has made me to be because of what God has done for me. Yeah, that brings up in my mind the uh, the parable of the unmerciful servant, mm -hmm. right? You've got, I'm not going to read the entire thing, but um, a servant who owes a tremendous debt to his king. Uh, the king wants to throw him in jail. He says, you know, please forgive me. I, I will. I will get it to you. And, and the king forgives him the entire debt, a huge debt. Mm -hmm. And then the servant leaves. And the expectation, I think, to the hearer of the story is he's going to respond in the same way. And yet he comes across a fellow servant who owes him a very small debt and refuses to, uh, to forgive that debt and actually wants the person thrown in jail. 
And, and I think that's something that, that, you know, we need to look at and say, if, if we understand the, the debt we've been forgiven, there is nobody that's going to sin against us as great as we've sinned against God. And he's forgiven us that. There's that expectation that we would be forgiving as well. Um, but then you read a verse, and I know this deals with judgment and not necessarily forgiveness, but the idea in Matthew 7, 12, uh, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, is this idea that I, that I you know, you get a little confused. Is it, you know, we're supposed to do this, the expectation is we're going to forgive, but if we don't, is that a sign that maybe we don't understand the forgiveness or maybe we haven't actually received the forgiveness? How would you answer someone who says, man, I, I don't forgive Wells. I don't, I don't like to forgive yeah. others or I can't forgive others. It's really good, man. And I think it's a yes on both accounts. Uh, is it a, I don't understand, or is it a, I haven't been. And, and, and so I would, I would say it's a yes and a yes. Here's where I would say judgment um, and forgiveness are very similar. Um, forgiveness is the opposite of judgment in a sense, right? If I, um, if you do something wrong, you steal a, you know, a, a, a pack of gum and, and you are taken to court and judged for it, you're given a penalty for it. That's judgment, right? If you go to court and they're like, okay, you stole a pack of gum, it's not the end of the world. And Rob, I've never seen you do anything like this before. And so, um, I'm gonna, just going to kind of let you off with a warning. That's forgiveness, right? And so, um, when we look at forgiveness, like the, the parable that you mentioned of the unmerciful servant, the, the story is as if the unmerciful one has been given like a million dollars and then his buddy owes him 20 bucks and he wants to throw him in debtor's jail over the 20 bucks. But when he was on the line, he wanted forgiveness. So the same idea, if you have been warned and not judged, right? And then you go out and you're all super judgy, right? I know that's a, a big theological term, judgy. And so um, when you live that way, what, what really you're asking a question about the gospel taking root in us. And so if the gospel has taken root in me, if, if, I, if I know and understand, I would say fully, but we'll never fully understand, but in, at some level, if I understand the weight of the judgment that's been withheld from me, and if I understand the volume of forgiveness that's been given to me, that will transform my life. That will transform how I treat other people. If I understand God's love for me, that will flow into other people. And so it's like there's an equal sign in the middle. And we put gospel on one side equals me being different, right? Whatever understanding of the gospel, lack of judgment, uh, forgiveness given, uh, love, anything, then that will transform me. So your question is, does that mean I don't understand it? Or does that mean I don't have it? And so I would say, if you came to faith five minutes ago, right? You're this like super brand new Christian. You still have that new Christian smell, right? You're just right there and uh, you don't understand things. You're not going to be in your first five minutes of faith, the perfect Christian. And five years later, you're not going to be a perfect Christian either. But Five years later, there's a different expectation of the gospel having taken, having taken root in you. Uh, first time a student walks into a dojo to learn a martial art, day one, um, they don't know anything. They know just enough to get beat up, right? So then you fast forward five years, and we have different expectations for them. 
they should understand this discipline they're studying. Same thing with the gospel. Five years later, it should have taken root and have a different outcome in us. In 1 John, we see a two-sided kind of perspective of this. Uh, 1 John says in chapter 2, says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a big term that means he is the one that makes God favorably inclined towards us. He is the one that stands in the gap, right? So he is the propitiation for our sin, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, right? All who will come to Christ are forgiven. Verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to him. So, and by this we know, so here's the proof, if you will, right? that we know him if we keep his commandments, right? So we come disobedient. And then afterwards, we change. We we know this. The evidence is we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, verse 4 says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walks. So the whole sum of that is, as we come to Christ and Christ takes root in us, we begin to look like Christ, right? We begin to look like Jesus and we begin to treat others better, lovingly, right? We begin to forgive others, right? We get to act like Jesus when we're forgiving others because Jesus forgave us. So I'm back to the same part of that answer. In the what is the in the question, what does the fifth petition mean? Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. That last line, forgive us just as we are fully determined as evidenced by, as evidence of your grace in us to forgive our neighbors. As the evidence of the work God is doing inside of us, let us forgive other people. And I'll button it up with this, man. Some of the most beautiful words of forgiveness uh, written by David, King David, who epically sins, most powerful king on the planet, most blessed, just amazing and then he goes out and he sleeps with another woman's life, wife. Uh, and then in order to cover that up, he wants to, he murders her husband. Like it goes south really fast. And, um, but he repents, he comes back to God and he writes this beautiful psalm. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He goes on, right? Just pleading to God, hey, God, I really epically blew this, right? But he gets down a few verses later to says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Here's where it pivots. Then, so upon forgiveness, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. So the appropriate move is from repentance to forgiveness and joy, and then a transformation in us and let us take that forgiveness to other people, right? We get to imitate Christ in our forgiving others. It's true of loving others, forgiving others, uh, not judging others in ways that we don't want to be judged. It's just all those attributes should be played out in us. No, as Christians, we don't live that out perfectly, but if we are truly followers of Jesus, we should start to see some DNA take shape in us. Nice. Yeah. And as, as Jeff said, we'll wrap it up with that. The idea that I like to think of it as that, that idea of your, your cup overflowing, that you have mm-hmm. been given more love than you can ever use 
to give it to others. You've been given more mercy than you ever need. Give it to others. And same thing with forgiveness. We've been forgiven so much. We can give that to others as well. So I would encourage everyone to, uh, to work on that. It's easy to receive forgiveness. It's hard to give, um, be in prayer about that and just be thinking about people that you need to forgive and whether you're holding them to a standard that you don't want to be held to as far as what you're requiring them to do before you offer forgiveness. So I want to thank you very much for listening to the Generations Church podcast. As Jeff mentioned earlier, we have one more left in this series. We will have a new series after that, but one more left in the series. We hope you will join us every Tuesday. We release the new Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude episode, and we hope to have you with us next week. For more information, visit our website at ginfamily.church, G-E-N family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at ginfamilychurch.